Well, summer is uh, coming to a close, and as it does, uh, many of our farmers uh, are beginning to, to, to harvest. Now, I'm not going to try to act like I know what farming is because I grew up in the city, and if I was to do that, I probably would have a lot of farmers tell me, you have no clue what we do for a living. Uh, so I'll stay away from that. Uh, I'll look at it on a little bit of a smaller level. My wife and I uh, planted a garden this year for our family, and we had to you know, pick a, a plot of land that we were going to use, and then she was, she was afraid all the bunny rabbits were going to get in, so I made these little fences to, to put around our garden. And then we, we got the, the dirt, and we tilled up the land, and we, uh, we made sure we planted all of our plants a certain distance away. We put a lot of work into that garden initially. And, and from the garden, we, we got probably about a, a hundred plus pounds of tomatoes. We planted a lot of tomatoes. Um, so we, uh, we took those tomatoes. My wife processed them. She made tomato soup and, and uh, pasta sauce and salsa and diced tomatoes. And she then went through a process of canning and sealing and doing all that, which I really have no clue how that process works either. Um, but what I do know is um, that farming and uh, processing of a garden, it takes a lot of work initially. Um, but we do it because at the end of the process, the, the fruit is worth it. Um, last week, we began a conversation about the process of, of, of living in community and, and what it looks like to get there. Uh, we, we talked uh, of a discipleship, a relationship path um, that started with risking a conversation. Right, putting yourself out there, beginning the conversation with somebody. Then, then we talked about getting connected with that person. Uh, then from there, you began to to make a commitment, to get committed, to say, "I'm in. I, I'm I'm a partner. I'm going to work alongside you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to live in community with you." And that it was the byproduct, right? To to live in community. Now, as we, we grow bigger as a church, as God continues to bless this place, know this, the facts tell us that whether big church, small church, that no church uh, person will likely know more than 50 names. Not, not one of you in this room probably knows more than 50 names of people inside of this room. If you do, you're, you're an anomaly of such. Uh, but, but most likely, you're, you're never going to know more than 50 names of people. But that doesn't give us a reason not to know people inside of this place as we continue to grow. I, I like to think about it like a puzzle. Uh, right? Not every piece of the puzzle touches directly every other piece. right? But when the puzzle is put together with every piece in their appropriate position, a masterpiece is formed inside of that, that puzzle. So whether it's like the process of a farmer working and working and working to get into, uh, uh, to, to make the fruits of his labor or the puzzle maker, right? You are putting your pieces together in the right place. In the end, the fruit or the masterpiece is worth it to live in community. But what exactly does community look like? What are the fruits of our labor inside of community? What are the masterpieces of, of a Christ-centered body living together? Why do we live in community? In the book of Acts, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, Luke, a physician, gives us, gives us some detail of what the fruits of a community look like. That's where we're going to be turning this morning, so I'd encourage you, if you've got your Bibles with you, or if you want to pull one out from under the chairs in front of you, Acts chapter 2 uh, and chapter 4 will be where we land most of the day. Now Luke paints a, a picture of the early church that, was, that had community, that was living in community. A community that in some sense, at times, I can even be jealous of. Man, I would love that community. And I, begin, I think we are beginning to experience that community 
There's a reason why, though, that Luke spends a vital amount of time on this, because it is vital that we would have just that community. And as he does that, he shares with us the fruits of that community. Author and pastor Francis Chan wrote about community in his book, Multiply. He said this, he said, Not every culture is individualistic, but in the Western world, we tend to look up to the Lone Rangers. Our heroes are are strong and self-sufficient, and they tend to walk alone. Now, very often in the Western church, that t- we tend towards individualism. We hear Jesus call to take up our cross and to follow him, and we decide to follow no matter what anyone else says or does. Now, of course, this is the right response, says Chan, but we need to be careful here. While every individual needs to obey Jesus' call to, to follow, we cannot follow Jesus as individuals. The proper context for every disciple-maker is the church, It's impossible to make disciples aside from the church of Jesus Christ, he says. Look at it from this perspective. The New Testament is full of commands to do this or that to one another, right? Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, and etc. So how can we be taught to observe these commands if we have no one to love or to pray or to encourage? You see, it's impossible to one another yourself. It is impossible to follow Jesus alone. Thus, this morning, it is my hope that we go beyond the process, beyond the discipleship and relationship path, and we begin to look at the fruits of what community really looks like. I believe the first fruit that we find is this, that community actually equals community. When you are living in community, it means you actually care for those inside of that place. Now, my guess is that as this past Thursday passed, September the 11th, maybe as you, you wrote down the date, you flipped on the TV and saw the, the, the date on the, the bottom or, or you opened up your phone and saw that, that date across the screen, that you were quickly drawn back to 2001, that fateful day on September the 11th. I was drawn back to where I was at. I was young. I was in eighth grade uh, when September 11th happened. And I was sitting on, on the couch uh, of my parents' home. We had a late start that, uh, that morning, and uh, I was waiting for a family friend to come pick me up to take me to school and they ABC News it was Good Morning America Diane Sawyer remember Charlie Gibson some of you guys watch ABC Good Morning America we we're watching that and all of a sudden they cut to this scene and they're they're watching smoke billowing out of this thing and on live TV I saw that second plane crash into the tower so I remember right where I was at and the feelings that I felt but there's something that uh, about these events like September 11th or, or natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Sandy or even some of the tornadoes that have ravaged uh, the, the Midwest here in America like Joplin or even right here in Washington. There's something about these events that in some sense I like. Now don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I like to see people go through pain or I like to pe- see people suffer. I like death to happen. That's not the case at all. No one in their sane mind would say they like those events for that purpose. Yet, it's not the event or the pain and suffering that makes me like these. Instead, it is the encouragement of unity that I see thereafter, right? Just as vividly as I remember September 11th, I remember the moments after. I remember sitting in a classroom with students and teachers all huddled around the TV watching the news, and there was no division amongst us in that moment. I remember that evening going to a church and meeting with hundreds, even maybe thousands of others, to pray for what was taking place in New York City. I remember the, the months to follow, the, the pride it was to, to, to raise your American flag 
uh, and w- the way you felt when you saw somebody come by with that and the community that was built around those things. And the same would be true of some of these, these uh, natural disasters, these tornadoes and these hurricanes. You see communities rally around one another. You see them begin to share a unity with one another. It seems that in our darkest moments of struggle, we are reminded of what is most important. We're reminded of community. We're reminded of that hardwired thing that God created us for, relationship with one another. Yet, community is not just something we feel. It's not just a saying. It's not something we look forward to in difficult times. Community is doing something. Community should be active. It should be life-changing. And true community is not something we just turn to in the difficulty but it's something that we find encouragement and challenge in in the daily life, in the daily grind. Community demands genuine care, demands a true heart of love for one another. To live in community means that you have a common unity together. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, and chapter 4, verses 32, 34, and 35, it talks just about that. It says in verse 45 of chapter 2, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had Need that they were sharing their possessions. They were loving and encouraging one another through that. Then in chapter 4, 32, 34, and 35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought their money from the cells, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now while a terrorist attack or a natural disaster or a community problem may unite for a time, they're fading in the scope of life. But the community of Christ is everlasting. It's eternal. It's a powerful thing that constantly is calling us back to it, to live amongst one another. Community has just that. It has the power to encourage and to help draw us back to it. Now, there are three truths that we should understand inside of this. And the first is this. Community represents our Christ-likeness. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, it says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you would love one another. Like we know an athlete by their athletic physique, or a famous actor by their physical appearance, or an army serviceman by his uniform. As a Christ follower, our love is our knowingness. That's how people know we are Christ followers, when we, when we love, when we represent Christ through community. In community, you will be cared for when you're hurting. You'll be encouraged when you're going through struggle. You'll be challenged when you begin to backslide and held accountable to what God's word would call us to. And you'll be loved when you need it most. But second, know this, that, that community shows sincere love. That community shows sincere love. We know what it's, all, what it's like to be loved or to feel like you're kind of uh, being loved for you know, the wrong purpose. Maybe someone's just doing it because they feel like they have to. If the only reason to find community is to save our tell in the scope of eternity, I think we probably have the wrong motive Christ wants us to want to love. That's what Romans 12, 9 through 13 says. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. 
Show deep and sincere love for one another. Maybe that's to, to help out with the grocery bills when somebody's hurting financially. Maybe that's to recognize that somebody's going through a, a deep time of struggle, maybe depression in their life, and you're going to mark out time to spend with them throughout the week, to love on them, to encourage them, to help them through that difficulty. Maybe that's to be a shoulder to, to cry on when somebody loses a loved one or, or, or somebody just to be there in their presence to rely on. But third, know this, community encourages others, other followers of Christ. It encourages other followers of Christ. It says this in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then Paul adds this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. A popular song said, They will know we are Christians by our our love. Now, oftentimes we think of that love as they will know we are Christians by our, our love, and that's our love for, for those outside. But I wonder, when people look inside, when they see the church being a church, are they, are they encouraged? Do they feel loved? Do they feel like, I want that? Because our love should be infectious, and when we live together and love one another, that's a powerful representation of Christ, not only to those outside, but right here to those inside to each other. Community is not something we just say, though. It's something we do. So here at Bethany, we believe in some important things that allow community. We believe in small groups. We talked about that a little bit last week. I encourage you to get involved in a small group. If you haven't, I'd encourage you on your card this morning, your communication card, there's a box on the next step that says, I'm interested in small groups. Um, if you check that, I will make sure you get connected with somebody in our, inside of our small groups. You'll have one of your leader, our leaders contact you about that so you can get connected inside of small groups. But we believe those are important places for encouragement to take place. People are going to pray with you. They're going to commune with you. They're going to share life with you. But also we believe in Bible study fellowships. Now you guys here are here at Second Service, but right now there's a Bible study fellowship going on right back there in that room behind you. Uh, during First Service, there's a Bible study fellowship that happens in room 100, which is the door right inside the main entrances. Those are classes where, yes, the Bible is being taught um, but also fellowship is being had. And both of those things are very, very important to God's church. And we encourage you to be a part of one of those Bible study fellowships. Or next Sunday, we've been talking about this for a while, right? We've had some announcements about it. Matt shared last week. Brittany shared earlier in our announcements this morning that we're having a thing called a fall festival next week. It's at 4 p.m. next uh, next Sunday at evening, and we are encouraging you guys to make plans to be there. We, we hope that everyone in this room is there with us next week to celebrate. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff. There's going to be hot air balloon rides. There's going to be blow-ups. There's going to be things for kids and things for adults. It's just a time to fellowship. There'll be food. Um, there'll be lots of laughs. You're probably going to meet some people from first service that you've never seen before, and they are going to probably meet some of you that they have never seen before um, because they leave earlier and you come in later, and that's all right. We want you guys to meet together to have the opportunity to fellowship and to commune as God's body. Our prayer here at Bethany is that you are growing in relationship with Christ and also growing in relationship with this community. Now, the second thing we learned is this, that community equals worship. Community equals worship. Every week, hundreds of millions of people meet around an iconic object. They wake early and make their way to houses of worship with hundreds of others there. Some get up early and to set up and prepare for this time and this main event. Often they'll share meals together during the time of worship. They'll wear appropriate attire to, to match one another. They'll sit and they'll stand together during the service as is appropriate. They'll sing songs and recite sayings and clap their hands with joy to the praise of what they worship. And they worship 
this. A piece of dead pig skin, right? They worship this thing, right? Every weekend that around this time of year, people start going out. Now, I lived in three towns that were big about football. I lived in Indianapolis um, for my, my adolescent years, and obviously the Colts are located there. And lots of times that people met around to watch the Colts play. And then I spent four years down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, University of Tennessee fans are crazy. Uh, 110,000 people at a, every Saturday at the, their venue, um, Big Neyland Stadium, huge. It's crazy. They loved their football. And then four years over in Columbus, Ohio, Buckeye fans, even crazier. Um, they're, they're wild over there. Um, but what I found interesting about people that uh, meet around the football is, uh, yeah, they did. They wore, wore clothing. They got together. They had community with one another, and that community was all about praising something. These guys kicking around the football, trying to look cool. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47a, we hear something similar and much more worthy of, of praise. We hear of the early church meeting around their praise and communing together to worship God. It says in verse 46, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And here it is, verse 47, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You see, our very meeting together worships God as Savior. I love how the message states it in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. It says this. It says, So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your life, words, actions, whatever it is, be done in the name of the master Jesus. My office mate, Tom Watson, who's also one of the ministers here on staff, is full of wisdom. Uh, and Tom would often come up, he often comes up and greets you on Sunday mornings. And I, I, I found that he says something quite often. He says, how great it is to see people of like precious faith meet together in worship. Probably heard Tom say that a few times if you've been with us before. How great it is to see people of like precious faith together in worship. I love to hear Tom say this because as a minister, it is of great encouragement when we see the church just being the church. Matt will often mention that uh, throughout the week, this place is kind of lonely. Um, when there are not people in this building, it's just, just the building. You are the church. And when you get together and we see you worship, not only warms our hearts as, as ministers, it in, is, it in its very nature is worshiping God when God's people gather together and commune with one another. Ephesians 2, verse 21 says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. God is working in you, and when you meet together in community, you are worshiping God. But third and finally this morning, know this, that community equals evangelism. Living in community draws others to hope in Christ. 
As Luke continues to record the happenings of the early church here in Jerusalem, he makes a note of a fundamental truth of that church. In Acts 2, verse 47, it says that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says that this was a product of their living in community with one another. Acts 4, um, verse 33 says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. Now, I can only imagine that when Christ returned as the risen Savior to stand at the right hand of God, that as he looked down upon his earth, that he, he saw this community and he smiled. He had to have recalled the moment where he took those faithful 11 to the hillside and began to share with them the Great Commission, where it says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ must have looked down on these people and thought, yes, they're doing exactly what I've asked them to do. The church was living in community with one another, was worshiping him through this, and was ultimately calling others to that same truth. You see that at the heart of that, at the fundamental principle of the Great Commission, is evangelism or a zealous act of advocacy for the cause of Christ. There's a story that was once told of a life-saving station off a turbulent coastline. The station was old and tattered, but inside its walls was a committed crew of people. The crew was, well, they were devoted to keep watch over the turbulent seas just outside the door of that old shack of a station. Selflessly, they would daily head out to the mess of the sea in, in front of them, looking for those in danger or, or those lost. Through their efforts, many lives were, were brought to safety by their courageous acts of selfless bravery at this old shack of a station. As the story goes, as the years passed and more and more lives were saved across the coastline, many of them that had been saved wanted to, to help the old tattered station. And they were they were willing to give of their time. They were willing to give of their energy, and they were willing to give of their, their money to help them succeed. And they helped to purchase new life-saving boats. New crews were trained, and the station that was once old and tattered and virtually insignificant, well, it began to grow. Yet as it grew, some of its members grew unhappy about the facilities of that old tattered shack. They felt more comfortable a uh, place should be provided, so they began to build a new facility. Emergency cots were replaced with new comfortable furniture, Old handmade rough equipment was replaced with the newest and most sophisticated of devices. And a new hut was built to make room for all the additional equipment. By its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering point for many across that coastline. It was attractive, and many saw it as a lovely clubhouse to go and spend their time. Saving lives and feeding the hungry and strengthening the fearful seemed, well, seemed to rarely occur any longer. Fewer and fewer people were now interested in the, the braving the turbulent seas just outside of that door. And many who were lost and in danger went without being saved. I don't believe that's the story of Bethany Christian Church. I don't believe that as we have grown that we have stopped caring about our greatest purpose, about Christ and about people. I don't believe that because I've seen how you help the hurting when they are hurting I don't believe that because in the six months that my family has been a part of this place, countless people have encouraged us by sharing a meal with us, providing a word of affirmation to a young man and a young woman in Christ. They've, they've simply been a friend to talk to. And, and even more so, we've found a home 
Somebody asked us the other day, said, said, how do you like Washington? We said, it's home. It's home. We love, we love Bethany. God is doing great things there. I don't believe you have lost the call of evangelism because I constantly see new faces walking in here on a Sunday morning that want to partner uh, with us as believers. I don't, I don't believe this because very few weeks go by without a holy celebration of someone coming to be baptized inside of our, our baptismal, to give their life to Christ. But I do believe it would bring no greater joy to the adversary for this to become the case, right? In the months to come, as we break ground and we ex- there's an expansion of this building, in the years to come, as we see this place continue to grow, let us be reminded that this place is a place that cares about people, a place that is living in community together for the cause of Christ. We're not entering a building project. We're entering a people project. You see, here at Bethany, we believe it is, it's great to have nice facilities. It's, it's nice to have a good place to share life together and to meet in community. Yet this place is a wash if we forget why we gather here. Our fellowship with one another serves little purpose if we forget whom we fellowship with. And our community has little purpose if we forget the purpose of our community. We believe very powerfully in the truth of the gospel message that we are sinners broken and deserve it of an eternal life where no one wants to spend. We believe that because God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that we have the hope of eternal life through him and that he has called us to, to live with one another, to love him and to love others and to share that truth amongst those around us. I love how the book of Jude puts it. He puts it in this call to persevere. It's just a one-chapter book. But in verses 20 and 23, it says this, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Church, let that be our powerful purpose. Let us not forget that we meet together in this place. We live in community with a common purpose of snatching people from the stormy seas uh, of this world and the fiery pits of the world to come. Redwoods are are huge trees. And they can grow to somewhere to 380 feet in height, um, some up to 26 feet in diameter at the base of the tree. Now, if you've had the privilege to, to go see a redwood, you've likely been overwhelmed by the beauty and how God has shown himself inside of that creation. Now, it's believed that many of the redwoods in California, or also known as sequoia trees, um, can live to up to 1,800 years or more, can be that old. Now, you would think that a tree of such great height, such great girth, such great uh, age would have a deep and powerful root system, right? That would go long and deep into the ground to hold that tree steady and firm. But you would be surprised to know that although these trees can grow taller than a football field in length and in height, that they have a very shallow root system. Instead of their roots going deep into the ground, their roots go out to the sides and they begin to interlock with the tree beside them. And that tree with the tree beside them, and that tree with the tree beside them. And that's why very rarely will you find a sequoia tree out on its lonesome all by itself, standing big and tall. No, you'll find them in a forest, 
communing with one another, tied and intertwined together, so they stand and they do just that. They praise God through the beauty that is found inside of that, that, that creation. I think God created us for something very similar. He created us for community with one another. And when we live in that community, you will see that needs are met, that people really care about you, not only in the good, but also in the difficult times. And because of that, worship will be had. God will be honored and praised. And constantly, we will be able to share the gospel with others. So I encourage you, continue to be a part of community. Continue to, to, to buy in. Continue to, to meet in this place, to be a part of small groups and Bible study fellowship classes. Be, be here for, for events where we get together and we get to encourage one another because God is doing a powerful work in you. And we are standing as a great forest intertwined, instead as a great people intertwined to do good things for, for Christ. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing a song of, of worship. And as we do that, I'm going to encourage you. If you've never taken that initial step, if you've never stirred those waters and, and come to know Christ as your Lord, that you would come and you'd see Matt. He'll be over by the baptistry. Or, or if you just want to pray about a decision you had. You know, that video said, just takes one small step. If you need to make those steps today, I encourage you to come and to pray with me, I'll be over here by the cross. Or if you just want to pray at these steps, you're more than welcome to do that. Someone might come and, and pray alongside you too. Whatever that decision is, I, I pray that you would take that small step today to come and to live in community with us.